Welcome back to the Uncharted Podcast. This is Poya. I have a special guest, one that I've been looking forward to all week to having on the on the podcast, Mr. Charles Ferguson. How are you? Poya, that is so kind of you, mate. You've been you've been anticipating my arrival. I'm I'm flattered. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. It's been that's so kind. Um, it well, it, it so for everybody, once you get to meet Charlie in person, the energy is just through the roof. Like it's I be like I thought I am the warmest person people meet, but like Charlie just takes it to the next level. So one of the reasons I was really excited about this podcast for everybody, I, I just love when I meet people and I hear about their background and Charlie has one that's, I think, really unique and interesting. So let's kick it off with like giving people some context of your background, where you've been, where you grew up, where you've lived, and maybe how some of those experiences have shaped who you are today. Hey, that's a that's a really lovely segue for me. And, and I appreciate the opportunity to share a little bit of my uh, my background and my experience. I won't go right into sort of corporate stuff. I'll tell you a little bit about where I came from and, and where I'm at and that kind of a story. And then we can weave it into the, you know, to the, to the professional side, if it's of interest to your, to your folks. But as you can tell by my accent, I'm from North America originally. And that belies sort of my experience in a way, because I've been out here in this Asia Pacific region for about well, over 30 years across a multitude of different sort of you know theaters of operation here in, in this market. But to go back in time, I was actually born uh, and initially raised in Georgia, in the state of Georgia in the United States. And at a very young age, when my, my folks separated, I went to go live with my old man and my dad and I moved almost immediately to Europe because of his vocation, doing sort of a let's say it's sort of a independent contractor advisory for the US government. And in that context, we moved quite a bit, but it became a sort of rhythm in my life where on an annual basis, sometimes, you know, on a, on a monthly basis, depending, we would pick up, pull up stakes and go to the next spot. And as a result, um, the vast majority of my formative years was spent predominantly in the Asia Pacific region. Now, just around the time that you know most folks would be kicking into gear for their latter high school, I actually applied to an early acceptance program at a university um, in New England in the United States, a college called Bard College, which is sort of upstate New York. Beastie Boys, Steely Dan, the Cohen Brothers, so a very a very conservative school. <laughs> and I got admitted into the program there through their campus called Simon's Rock, which is an early admittance university program. And kicked off my college years. I got accepted when I was 15. I started off when I was 16. And two years in, at the associate's degree point, I kind of dropped out. Well, I finished. And then I dropped out of the, of the college scene. And I followed the Grateful Dead around the United States for a while. And, and really had a blast. Learned a lot. Um, ultimately, kind of settled into New Mexico. And then into... Portland, Oregon. The the woman that I was dating at the time, her father was an engineer at Intel Corporation, and gave me sort of a, a you know an entree into a, a program there. It was a bit of like an internship program. And long story short, you know this is the segue from the personal to the professional. I kind of got my first foot in the door in the corporate world by uh, by virtue of working as a, as an engineer apprentice inside of the high performance computing laboratory at Intel. And that 
that was such an interesting sort of foray for a guy who did not have, you know, a double E education background. And, and, and bear in mind, you know, this is in the early nineties that, that this went down. So, you know, the internet was, was not really a thing at the time. It was just beginning to burgeon in, in sort of the marketplace. So yeah, that, that, that was kind of my first foray into technology. And I'll, I'll pause there for a moment to see if you have a question, because I can keep on going ad nauseum. No, I, 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 where where my head goes is like, how do you think that shaped who you are today? Like, like that adventurous nature of like going, like I, that's one side, and then you know you go into the corporate world. Yeah. Like, do you think it? it it's like it, two it was, different. It was, <laughs> it was. There's polarity there for sure. You know, there's antithetical sort of positioning. I look. I think that certainly as a kid, the the ability to sort of adopt and adapt was instilled at a fairly young age, not least of which because, you know, both my folks are fairly adventurous in their own right. I, I would suggest they were, you know, they weren't the hippie that I became, but they certainly were self-directed and self-aware um, that those early years of kind of moving often, I think for for adults, it's, it's a challenge. For kids, obviously, they're more, you know, adaptable. But Certainly, it's the case that it instilled in in me at that early age a high degree of sort of awareness of of the importance of empathy. And by that, I mean to say, when you come into a new culture or a new environment, and you're sort of the you know let's let's call it for lack of a better term the minority coming into that ecosystem or that community. And I'm not saying racial minority. I'm saying you're you're the new person on the block. Then you have to kind of be focused on authenticity. You have to be focused on, you know, self-awareness and you have to be focused on empathy because if you come in pre-judging, you're not going to be successful in establishing relationships with folks. And certainly you're not going to get as much out of the experience as you could if you went in with that open mind. So I think that was very helpful for me. And it definitely opened up my mind to the ideas of, listening for opportunities. And so, you know, as I, I did my little sort of sojourn after my first foray in, in university, uh, which was not my last, but it, there was a long hiatus between that Bard College experience and, and the next one, I think it was like 20 years before I went back to school. You know, I, I kept my mind open to opportunities and ideas. And there was a point, you know, just before I joined Intel on that sort of, um, trip across the US, reconnecting with the United States, because I've been out for for quite a while as, as a young man, I left. And then actually, I was not a young man, a young boy, I left. And then I came back as a teenager. I, I opened up a coffee shop in New Mexico with a buddy of mine. This is before Starbucks was a thing, right? <laughs> it was called Cool Beans Espresso in Santa Fe. And uh, it, it was an interesting experience. It taught me a lot. And that's where I came into this uh, sort of opportunity with Intel. Intel has a a lab in at Sandia National Laboratories in New Mexico. And that that Intel door knock, you know, I opened the door and walked in. And and it really did put me on the track of exploiting my, I, I guess, inherent sort of curiosity about things and how they work. To say that, I want to preface that I'm I'm not some sort of, you know, prodigy or genius here. I have a proclivity towards languages and the way I looked at tech, 
technology to me is a way of expression. It's a way of communicating. And to me, it's a language. So when I went down that path with Intel as my initial foray into the, into the corporate world, the professional world, I kind of viewed what I was learning and picking up as, as a way to express or solve problems through, you know, a, a language. And that lent itself towards, you know, a different perspective than, than simply coming in with like, you know, electrical signaling or four-way memory interleaving or all the various applications that are apropos in a hardware world. And it did set the stage for the progression from a career point of view to, to where I, I ultimately am today. But it, you know, from Intel, I went to Microsoft, from Microsoft, some work that I did there, I went to salesforce.com as one of their early employees here in the APAC region, and it opened up North Asia for them. I actually in between Intel and Microsoft, kind of harking back to that, that coffee shop gig I mentioned earlier, I went to Shanghai, China and opened up a jazz club, which is again, fairly esoteric <laughs> from a professional point of view, but the, the, the knock-on effect of, of doing that was that I learned quite a lot. You know, it was a bit like going back to college in a way. It was sort of like an MBA in Chinese business. And, you know, as, as I'll say, as luck would have it, and hopefully it doesn't sound disingenuous, the SARS epidemic hit. And if, if for folks on, on this cast who are old enough to remember the impact of SARS, certainly if you were in APAC, you won't forget it. It, it didn't do wonders for the social interactions that are inherently required for a bar to be successful. So, so I had to close the bar for a while and, and it, that made me get a gig. And the gig I got was at Microsoft and they moved me from Shanghai back to Singapore. And, you know, the wheels just kept turning. I went from Microsoft to Salesforce and Salesforce to SAP. Um, and then uh, from SAP, some, some really interesting roles that I was able to enjoy in that venerable firm. I decided to go out and, and once more start my own business, and that was a you know consulting and, and a talent acquisition business. And when my wife and I had our first child, you know the 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 thing that a lot of the startup folks and founders that are going to be listening to this cast will will be painfully or vividly familiar with at least is at some point in that startup time, circumstances hopefully align. You can keep on trucking. Sometimes they knock on the door and say, guess what? You know, you got to, you got to get a job, you know? <laughs> so my wife said, Hey man, this is going well, but I would prefer it if we had like health benefits and things of this nature. So why don't you go get a job? And uh, I considered that. And then we, we started down the path of our second child. And that's when I knew I had to get a gig. So one of my clients actually that I was working with in, in my, uh, my consulting practice was a company called ADP and ADP is a very large global you know, HR services and outsourcing company, famously familiar to folks from a payroll perspective, but they do so much more. And I was fortunate to get in to a position there that ultimately led to me being the, the president GM for that company for, for APAC. And that was a, that was one of those, holy crap, look in the mirror, imposter syndrome moments, right? Where I was like, oh my God, am I, am I, am I fit for purpose for this gig? You know, but it went really well. The business grew exceptionally well, almost exclusively because I had an amazing team around me. And that turned into other opportunities. I joined a sort of a private equity-backed business that was able to, to grow exponentially and ultimately have a successful trade from one PE to another. 
And during the course of my time in that PE back business, I was fortunate to be a partner for the company that I'm with today, Globalization Partners, and was able to connect with the founder and CEO, Nicole Sahin. And when I ultimately decided to take a break, you know, self-imposed sabbatical, because the world of PE is is is, is challenging. <laughs> so I, as my mama would say, I was road hard and put away wet. And, and when I got out of the barn, I was like, all right, man, I need a break. I need to go graze in the field for a couple of months, you know? And as I did that, Nicole and I reconnected and uh, ultimately she asked if I was interested in helping GP to grow their organic business and kind of form that revenue push here in the Asia Pacific region. And I said, yes, absolutely. And you know, three years later, here I am with a unique opportunity to sit down and speak with you. So that's that's the Reader's Digest version or the, the cliff notes of sort of the beginning to, to, to date. And, and I hope that's to some degree what, what you were looking to to hear it spot spot on i just don't know where to go from here there's so much to unpack that's that's the, that's the challenge but well, i'm an uh, open look, book boy, as you know so whatever uh, whatever you'd like to discuss i'm happy uh, look a lot of the things that i think make a good leader empathy being agile being flexible like it sounds like your upbringing kind of helped you build those things but the part that resonated even despite all those experiences you become the president of adp and you have like some of these doubts, like, am I doing this correctly? You know, like, oh, yeah. and it's, I always find it unique when leaders in those situations are vulnerable and open up. So thanks for that. But sure. the follow-up question for that is like at that certain limit, like what helped you, you know, like what oh, helped yeah. you kind of boost your confidence? Like at those moments, like if someone's listening to this and they find themselves like, what are some tips you have that you think is transferable for another person kind of, you know, having self-doubt? Hey, that's a, that's an excellent question. And it's something that I, I certainly spend a lot of time contemplating at, at some, I would call them sort of pivotal moments in the course of my career. So I'll give you a couple of examples that, that answer, hopefully answer, or at least address that question. Uh, I was extremely fortunate to have that upbringing that, that you just harked to wherein my my sort of coping mechanism typically is to jump with about 70% of the knowledge that I think I require to make a decision. I think if you wait, you know, opportunity will come again. You have to keep an open mind, but sometimes you just have to go for it, you know, and trust your gut. And my point of bringing that up is to say to you that I've, I've skipped over a couple of other sort of startup intense that I, I I grasped during the course of my career in one of them earlier on, this is at the time when I, just before I joined salesforce.com and I left Microsoft, the startup that I joined was a an early, way too early, I, I would suggest sort of NFC payments tech company. This is in like 2006. And I, I was so young and so naive that I didn't know I didn't even know the due diligence required to decide if I should quit my job at Microsoft and join this gig. It just sounded cool and sexy. So I went for it. The long and short of it is that I didn't know how much runway we had from a, a capital point of view, and nor did I know to ask that question. And the runway that we had was approximately six months. <laughs> and as a as a blank page startup, it did not last six months. It, we burned through the capital real fast. But one of the things that I had done early in that at that point was to embrace sort of technology because of that initial 
you know, sort of expose I'd had in tech by virtue of working for Intel, which is a very innovative company and continues to be so. And I brought a nascent product into our startup called salesforce.com at the time. And I was using it to sort of manage, you know, a lighter version of customer relationship management, which it was indeed the case at that point. Now, certainly today it's synonymous with CRM and all the other aspects, but at the time it was more of a Salesforce automation tool. And in that regard, I connected with the Salesforce team in Singapore and team would be a, an overstatement. It was a pretty small group of folks. And when the startup failed, I just went to the office and asked to meet with the, the president of the region and said, hey, I use your product. I like what you do. I want to work for you. And he was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Come on in. You know? So I, I joined that, that crew. And my point being that the individual that I had that conversation with became a friend, became a mentor. And the long-winded answer to the first part of your question is, you know, don't be afraid to ask for the opportunity. Don't be afraid to kind of, you know, take that step. I know it's hard to do, but once you've done it once, even if you quote unquote are rejected, your confidence still builds because you took that leap. You know, if you don't get the answer that you think you wanted, open your mind to the possibility that it just is because there's something else for you to do. You know, it's it's the case that, you know, you're being guided. And, and the only way that it's a mistake, quote unquote, is if you don't ask the question. So that's number one. Number two, once you find someone that you you admire or that that you want to emulate or or a sort of follow ask if they're willing to be a mentor or or to be a coach or a guide and and learn from them and i think you'll find that the best mentors the best leaders are self-aware enough to realize that there's often just as many opportunities for them to learn from you as there are for you to learn from them i mean don't put a leader on a pedestal and assume that they know everything because they don't they're human and if they're truly great leaders and truly great coaches and mentors, they're going to be open to the idea that, hey, the force of you and I together can create opportunities for both of us to improve and learn and, and, and sort of navigate the world that's increasingly volatile and disrupted, right? The other thing I would suggest is that at the point that I ultimately joined SAP, which was the experience following my, my Salesforce experience, I realized that the space I was going into was particularly challenging in the in the sense that SAP at that time had not made significant acquisitions in the cloud, in software as a service. So the obstacles I was facing, or I guess I should say the, the challenges I was facing, were more internal education and alignment of more conservative or more sort of traditional operators around perpetual licensing and, and on-premise software. So I needed a, a toolkit to kind of navigate the conversation with respect to dealing with a lot of, you know, engineering-centric, ERP-centric sort of leaders. So I, I decided that the appropriate thing to do was to revisit my toolkit. And since I'd been out of school for, at that point, you know, a really long time, I decided to go back and get an MBA. And my, my MBA concentration was also esoteric because I realized that what I was facing inside of SAP and in the market at large with respect to cloud was a dilemma of innovation, not a dilemma of, you know, reluctance to embrace change. So I went back and got it. I did research on where to find the best 
sort of course around innovation management. And I found ironically that the place that that I felt had the most resonance for what I required was a school in Finland. And I went to the Helsinki School of Economics to do my MBA. And and what's interesting about that, you know, at that time, and again, maybe some of the folks on the on the podcast won't remember this, but Nokia was the bee's knees, you know. <laughs> Nokia was the stuff, man. It was it was hot. And Nokia had started life as a rubber boot manufacturer. So to go from making rubber boots to being the number one sort of mobility telecommunications company on the planet is a fairly innovative journey, right? And so I did my gig, you know, my MBA there. I learned the tools that I, I thought I required. And I had this mentor with me still as, as, as like my, my co-pilot. I had a few more at this point, and, and that's always helpful. And I kept going down the path, right? Ultimately, when I when I got to that point of being asked, being honored to, to take on the role of, of GM for APAC at, at ADP, I decided to go back to school again. I, I didn't think I had enough gas in the tank to be a true GM. And I think <clears throat> it goes to another point, which is, when you discover in yourself a, a an area of opportunity to improve, and in my instance, it's around attention to detail and process and finance. Those are two areas that I have a real struggle with. I'm a very, uh, you know, averted sort of sales, marketing, brand, you know, go-to-market focused leader. So therefore, the best way to be effective is to leverage those strengths, but then build around you a team of folks who are, you know, ninjutsu experts in the things that you're not good at. And you, then your job as a leader is to remove stuff from their way so they can, you know, completely blossom in their talent and their their capabilities and, and not pretend that you know it all and you can figure it out because you can't, you know, you can't know it all. So I went to Stanford University program around international GM, general management, and really focused in on taking the modules that were germane to my areas of, of opportunity to improve. I felt more confident after I got those tools in my toolkit. And I think it served me relatively well. It's not to say that I became, you know, like CFO material or, or COO because of that experience, but it gave me the vernacular, you know, sort of the, the language toolkit to remove some of the fear, uncertainty, and doubt I had about those areas of expertise that required to, to be, you know, super impactful as a GM. And therefore I could have more credible and more logical point to point conversations with those experts, as opposed to mealy mouthing around and trying to pretend like I know everything, you know, so yeah. that, that was super helpful. Um, when you describe yourself, I thought you were describing me. It's like, it's like the same person just man, <laughs> a few, few years apart, but look, it, it's funny when you brought up FUD, that's exactly where I was thinking of going, because as you're giving some of this history, the bar in Shanghai closing, the startup running of cash, right? Like looking back, the dots connect, but that that exact moment, right? Like there's fear, there's uncertainty. You're like, totally. I have two kids. How do I, you know, like, how do I put food on the table? And let's translate that to today's world, right? The, la the last couple of years have been very difficult for a lot of people, right? Absolutely. We had COVID and then lockdowns and then now layoffs, at least in SaaS, right? So yeah. what I'm trying to basically ask in those scenarios, what have you learned to help with like turning those challenges into opportunities or like better set, like frankly, like better handling 
the fear, the doubt, the uncertainty that comes, like what's helped you kind of build that muscle? Look, man, I, I, I do think that this is easy to say and super hard to do, but particularly for folks who have kind of gone all in on a particular direction that they've taken with their career. And by that, I mean to say, you know, you've, you've quit your job, you've, you've passion project, a startup, and you're going down this path. And, you know, ultimately it gets to a, a crossroads to a nexus. It's either going to go the direction that you think it should go in, or, you know, you've run out of resources and you're in a tough spot. My, my sort of counsel to myself was try to remove your ego, you know, be as pragmatic as possible. Look at the situation and realize that it's not, it's not sort of a loss or a failure or, you know, a rejection. It's certainly not personal. If these things don't work, you have to be open to the idea that this is simply a turning point for the next opportunity. If you learn from the experience, if you take those lessons and you authentically and sincerely embrace them and then apply them, look, man, I mean, let me be, you know, completely candid with you. When I left my business at Reed Hamilton, which was the startup I did with my partner, which, which by the way, it went on for six years as a great business. I just decided to leave at a certain point because, um, you know, from a, a, a sort of a cash flow perspective, I was a burden on the business. And moreover, we weren't yet at the level of maturity required to have retained business and really get that cash flow going into the company. So I joined ADP. Now, to leave like a sexy early tech VCPE associated advisory firm doing talent acquisition and go to market to what folks on the outside might look at as selling payroll, well, that's not super sexy. Okay. I get that, but you know, life is is what you make of it, right? So, I looked at that opportunity, and what I saw was a very venerable firm with a ton of potential that simply needed to recalibrate and repackage its value proposition and its narrative to the market. And the way I looked at it was by virtue of the fact that at that point, you know, it's like a 57, 58 year old company that from its inception had started to provide solutions that were outsourced or hosted um, on a computer and provided as a service to end user clients. Well, dude, that's the cloud, right? So in my mind, it was the biggest cloud company no one had ever heard of before, right? My point being, it's all about perspective. You know, it, it's all about the story that you tell inside your mind. I'm not talking about trying to like hoodwink yourself or convince yourself that something's good when it's bad. I'm saying, Keep a positive outlook on things, you know, look for the silver lining and pull that thread because there's always an opportunity if you're open-minded about it. I do think it, it does come down to, to perspective and point of view, but just because, you know, you, you step out of a startup that maybe you started or you've been, you know, set on a new path by virtue of a layoff or what have you, you know, embrace it. I'll give you an example, one more, and then I'm sure you want to ask something else more pertinent to the folks listening, but you know, when I when I decided to leave that PE backed business in my last vocation, which is a company called Tricor Corporation, I took you know six to eight months off. Those first three months, I kind of got my head together. The next three months, what I did was I really went out with a high degree of assertive intent to have conversations with all kinds of interesting people about their businesses and their strategy. And I tapped into my network and really started to go out. Uh, 
you know, I, again, assertively or aggressively, depending on how you look at it. But I had 48 conversations with 48 different companies. And the idea was not necessarily, hey, I'm looking for a job. You got anything available? It was more like, hey, I've admired your company. You and I are either directly connected or tacitly connected through my network. I really want to learn more about what you folks do and what's going on in your marketplace. And again, ask the questions. It ultimately came down. Now, I opened myself up to the universe. The universe conspired, you know, as the alchemist would say. But, and that's how the the, the GP event happened. But you've got to go out and make that effort. You know, you've got to go out and ask the questions. You've got to go out with a positive mindset. The, the universe will conspire. It will point you in the direction. It's up to you to take advantage of it. That's my advice. hundred percent. Look, this, this resonates a lot because four years ago, I got I, literally same thing. I, I, the startup I was a part of, they couldn't afford to pay me. They're like, sorry, you got to move on. And at that yeah. time, a mentor of mine is like, Hey, come try the Saster thing. We need someone to help with event sponsorships. And I was like, I'm going from ahead of the sales to selling sponsorships. Like it was, it was ego hit. Right. And yeah, now that exactly. I look back four years later, it's been one of the best decisions I've ever made because I took an opportunity that I just have seized, but it, it's, it meshes with what I enjoy and appreciate in my work as well. So what I'm trying to say, some of these things, sometimes again, looking back, don't make sense, but yeah. when you do, or at that moment, they don't make sense. But when you look back, you're like, Oh my God, I'm so grateful for a challenge that's turned into an opportunity. You know, that's a great word too for everyone to to continually remember, remember and remind yourself of, which is gr- gratitude, right? Like, uh, yeah. I'm not sitting here trying to say, you know, take the first gig you can find and then convince yourself that it's a good gig. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, you know, keep an open mind because every single role, every single company, every single opportunity that you embrace is going to have, you know, paths for you to evolve, to learn, to become a better person, become a better manager, become a better leader, to to connect into new networks and meet new people. And you never know what could happen, right? You just never know. It's like when you and I met at Sastra here in Singapore recently, first of all, you walked up, we started talking, we instantly connected. And then at the end of the conversation, I found out who you were, right? My point being like, it wasn't like, oh, there's there's my man. Like I got I got to go connect with this guy because I'm gonna have a podcast with him, and he's with Saster. It wasn't about that. It was about being human, being curious, having the conversation, and then at the end, oh, look at that. You know, we're we're we're, we're pre qualified for our conversation. <laughs> all right, <laughs> boosting my ego, doing it, doing it correctly. That you 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 belong in a go to market for world. You're a man of my own heart, to say the least. <laughs> Super um, kind, man. Thank you. But. But look, no, this has been fantastic. I'm, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this. One of my favorite episodes. And, and for everybody listening, we went completely off script, like the whole episode. So I, I appreciate your flexibility, your candor, your vulnerability. The I one question we, we, we love to ask, and ho- hopefully it's a curveball. If you could go back to any time, and frankly, you've had such a journey, I'll let you pick the time. What would the older, wiser, better looking Charlie, what's, what, what, what's one tip suggestion would you give yourself? Look, I, I think that there's, there's probably a, a few that you could sort of circle back with, but I, you know, I, I caution folks to always think carefully about the bridges that you build. And, you know, I would say to myself as a, as a young man, younger man, I should say, don't think about burning those bridges too quickly. You know, it's sometimes it's really tempting to be like, ah, good riddance to this, you know, I'm done. But 
particularly what I've found, and maybe this is more germane to the region that I'm a part of, you know, I've been out here for a long time, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, and lots of folks look at APAC, particularly when they're coming from the United States, as sort of like a, a tour of duty, you know, a, a, a stripe on their lapel. But if you've been out here as long as I have, lots of folks cycle back through multiple times. The point being, there are places that I liaise with today, wherein had I kind of dropped the mic, so to speak, and been like, yeah, see ya, you know, I'm out. I, I'm still liaising with these businesses. I still have relationships with these companies. You know, case in point, ADP. You know, when I left ADP, I could have just been like, well, I'm I'm out of here. You know, they're one of my strongest and most most favorable partners in, in everything that I do in my company today. And thank God, you know, I would suggest to anybody who's kind of getting on the path of their career, maintain relationships, you know, act with integrity. My dearly departed old man, he passed away in 2020 from COVID in the Philippines. One piece of advice that that he always gave me, he gave me quite a few, but I'll give I'll share one with this crew, which is never ever lose sight of the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. Treat people the way you want to be treated. And the world will go the right way, you know? So if you keep that as your North Star, you're going to be all right. A hundred percent. Well said. So my top value in life is outside of health and whatnot is quality relationships. So one tactical advice I'll just give for people you want to stay in touch with, like for example, Charlie in this case, he's going to go in a spreadsheet I have. And once a month, once a quarter, he's going to get a random ping from me. Hey, thinking of you, how are things going? So on and so forth. So oh, cool. it, it, <laughs> it, it does. It. Yeah. But what I'm trying to say is it doesn't even have to be anything crazy, right? It, it's like, no. um, like just it can be as casual folks. as that. Yeah, Absolutely. Exactly. I love that. That's a great piece of advice. I mean, just, you know, particularly if you mean it, you know, a hundred percent, you can't fake it, right? You gotta, yeah. you gotta be genuine. And sometimes we are so genuine. People think we're faking it because we're in sales. Like that's the, I don't Agreed. know if you get that. Which, which, which brings, brings another point, right? So as much as I, I say, maintain relationships and stuff of that nature, you know, and treat people the way you want to be treated, take that literally, you know, stay away from toxic people, right? Stay, you know, don't, don't just, don't just take that weight and that confusion and that direction of all this toxicity in your life and like think that that's okay. You know, turn the other cheek, so to speak. If, if somebody's toxic, you know, like, okay, know, know that and realize your self-worth and keep trucking. But for the people that that are good, you know, you keep those relationships alive. I totally agree with you. hundred percent. Well, thanks so much for, again, coming on, sharing, paying it forward. For everybody, I, I will put Charlie's contact information, LinkedIn and whatnot in the show notes, reach out, thank him. He's one of the most approachable people I've met. So thanks again. And and a huge shout out to the team at Globalization Partners for connecting us and and just being a great friend and support and partner of mine, as well as the Sasser team over the years. So until next time, so grateful. Yeah, we're grateful. Until next time, be well, be safe, and we'll catch you on the next episode. And Charlie, thanks again. My pleasure. Take care.